All right, Dave, we're doing it again. Dude, what's up? It's March 1st. We've made it. The sun's shining, and I'm looking forward to getting at it today. What's going on in your world, dude? I know. It's crazy. We're going up to Alaska this weekend, or this in two days, which is absolutely ridiculous because, as we talked about last week, ready to go to Florida, and I have no idea why we're going north. <laughs> the power of in-laws. Oh, dude. Uh, happy wife, happy life, man. You've made, you have chosen wisely. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, today on the podcast, man, I'm really excited to have my good buddy, Rod Ellis, uh, veteran worship pastor, uh, worship coach, writer, uh, blogger, social media influencer. Uh, let's get at it, man. I'm ready to go. I know. That's so fun because you are, when we say worship, like your face lights up because you lead yeah. worship all the time, whether it's for chapels or various other things. And yeah. so what's funny is you are totally in your element today. Yeah. I'm a little bit in, in your element. So you always use that phrase, I'm going to hold on to your coattails. But uh, today, it's going to be yeah. a total opposite reverse. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Let, let's get into it. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hartkoff. Ez, I am glad to introduce to the Monday Christian audience my good friend, Rod Ellis. Uh, Rod, welcome to the Monday Christian. Thanks, guys. What an incredible privilege to be here and to talk about Jesus and how to connect with him. And I, what a thank you. Very honored. So I met Rod uh, a year ago, as uh, in Florida, Jacksonville. Him and I are uh, working through school together, and uh, I was I was struck. Uh, so he introduced himself as the old guy in the room, but uh, I've marveled at his ability to connect, uh, especially with younger folks. Um, I was at his church several months ago, and uh, a lot of the volunteers. The, I would say, Rod. I don't know if this is fair to say, but the the core of your uh, volunteer group is kind of like 30 and under. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Young yeah. folks, a lot of college students. And, mm -hmm. uh, as we're eating chips and salsa and Mexican food after a, a concert, um, I was just amazed at his ability to, I'm looking at my watch going, man, it's nine 30. I'm so tired. And he's just hanging out with these kids, man. And I'm just like, I want to be like that when I'm hmm, 55, 52. Yes. Yeah. Nailed it. 55. Yeah. yeah. I want to be like that. So, uh, Rod, thanks for coming on today, and we're looking forward to uh, dialoguing with you about about worship. What a big topic! It is a giant topic, and I can't see where I can't wait to see where we go. Should be fun. Yeah. So, first yeah, I, I think that's that's a big thing because, like, you talk to, to so many different people, and I just throw myself in this category when you talk mm -hmm. about leading worship, things like this. The idea, so I don't know if any of you saw on the weekend, there was, a, uh, they do a thing called CPAC and someone sang the national anthem there and it did not quite go as well as it probably could have gone. And uh, and so basically I saw many captions that said, pick a note, any note, right? Yeah. And that was kind of how it, it went. And I thought to myself, if I were singing the national anthem, that's about where I'd be. So <laughs> this is what I have to contribute to the conversation today. Uh, uh. No, dude. Hey, Rod, quick question. Um, I, I know you're, he's, he's an excellent musician as he's got an amazing voice. I don't know if you can tell by this melodious sound that's coming out of his <laughs> microphone. So, but he, his understanding of worship is a lot deeper, I think, than just music. So Rod, maybe just starting us off mm. for, for the audience so that we're, 
when we say worship, we're all talking or at least maybe thinking about the same thing. When I when you say worship, uh, give me a sentence or two definition. What what do you what do you mean when you say worship? Yeah, I want to start by saying something that it's not. Um, okay. Worship is not something emotional, and worship is not something that we do um, for ourselves. Worship is not something we cause. Worship is not something that's um, just intellectual. Uh, worship is so giant, biblically speaking, that it's really hard to narrow it down to a definition. It's, by mm -hmm. the way, not musical. Mm. And so, so when I hear, as when I hear you say about the national anthem and pick a note, I'm like, gosh, one of the most powerful worship experiences I remember was a dude that couldn't sing to save his life. Mm. Little tiny church in Florida. I was away just visiting and, and he sang amazing grace. And I knew grace in a way, the way he sang it, that I had never known it before. And so getting the notes right isn't really what worship is all about. However, I'm a big fan of getting all the notes right. <laughs> um, so Amen. when I think about, yeah, when I think about worship, I think of it casually as connecting with God. Every time in the Bible, somebody connected with God, they walked away different. And so if I were to make it more academic sounding definition, <laughs> the one that I've kind of used since I was in gosh, grad school. Um, I think corporate worship or, or corporate means body. So the gathered worship is an intentional encounter with God that necessarily results in change. Hmm. I'm there to do it on purpose. I'm there to encounter God. I'm not there to encounter a preacher or a singer hmm. or the church family. I'm there to encounter God, but it's going to change me. And it may change in a noticeable way. It might be more likely perhaps that it would change me over the next six to 12 months or the next three to five years in a way that's visible to others because change that happens quickly on the inside happens slowly on the outside, at least in my journey. And so a, a corporate worship is a, an intentional encounter with God that necessarily results in change. Love that. Yeah, that's good. You know, it's interesting when you mention worship, one of the things, so I'm a big fan of Daniel Henderson and he does a lot of worship based prayer and mm. When I think, and Dave and I have talked about this, and I, I strum away at the guitar a little bit occasionally, right? And uh, when the neighbors are not within earshot. And um, <laughs> and so I'll strum, and, and, and there's something about that, that even me, that I, I am not a musician, right? And we just talked about that, that that's, worship is broader than that. But there's something, I, I love to connect in different ways with worship. And so I'm just curious, you personally, what is your personal worship time with God look like? I know you've got the musical background to tap into as well. So, so how, what do you incorporate as you sit alone and spend time with God? Yeah, that's interesting that I listened to the podcast you guys did about private worship um, mm. and, and private worship is in so many ways, exactly the same as corporate worship, mm. but in many other ways, it's so entirely different. Yeah. Uh, there is something that happens in a group of people that simply doesn't happen when you're by yourself. And there's something that happens by yourself that simply can't happen when you're a group of people. I think it's why those two are essential to the, the full Christian life. Yeah. So when I'm by myself, um, probably the thing that helps me the most is, is some combination of singing and wonder. Mm. Um, when, when I allow my mind to engage what, what others have called and I embrace the holy imagination, then, then the bigness of God becomes more present to me. Mm. And that necessarily moves me to, to worship. I, every time God gets bigger in my understanding, then I, I just worship him. I, I am moved inwardly. 
It's emotional, but deeper than emotion. I am moved inwardly to just be astounded at the goodness of God. Um, and then singing for me, I am a musician. I, I'm, I don't play a lot of instruments. Uh, I'm pretty good at tuba. I'm pretty bad at piano. I'm worse at guitar. So I, I'm really not much of an instrumentalist, but I, I do love to sing. I love to conduct. I love to lead people. And so when I sing a song um, from the depths of me, that you know, the psalmist uh, said, out of the depths I cry to you, when, when I'm able to sing out of the depths of me, uh, I can do that by myself and engage with God in a way that I I don't know that I trust the people around me enough to let them see me worship like that. Mm. And, and I don't mean that we shouldn't trust the people around us. I just mean there's a place where I can go with God alone that I'm not sure I am meant to go with God with other people around me. And if we never get there privately, it really caps our potential when we worship publicly. Oh, I love, man, quotable quotes, retweeting for later. That's a great quote. Um, so let me let me ask you this. Uh, in the people that you work with or mentor uh, or work alongside uh, at Wood, Woodburn, Rod, Rod works at a, uh, a thriving church in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, <clears throat> do you find that people have more issue engaging publicly or is it easier to engage them on a Sunday uh, or at a Wednesday night prayer meeting or something or in a discipleship group and harder to get them to, to sort of have this personal time? Because it, it seems like every tradition has its strengths and weaknesses. So uh, some will talk about, you know, we, we're not privatizing uh, religion. You know, we're, we meet together. We're the body. And then others uh, maybe neglect that quiet time throughout the week so that their their relationship with God is only these corporate mountaintop experiences that maybe happen that's, once that's or twice a, big, a week. That's a big question. I like that a lot. <clears throat> Why do you think that's a big question? Because I've seen that in so many different circles. That what, what he's just talking about, that emphasize, where one aspect, okay, it's all about the personal, and then other, other denominations where um, <clears throat> it might be more about corporate, and there can oftentimes be a divorce between the two. Yeah, I, I really, I have a book that I'd love to write someday um, based on the premise that a, a plane needs two wings. Um, I really don't ever want to get on a plane to go somewhere that just has one wing. It's just not going to go well. And two engines, and so, apparently, from the from the news last week. Huh? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so to me, they are that, that very thing, private worship and public worship. Yeah. If you only have one, you are flying disabled. Mm. And if you engage both, then you, you maximize lift. You're, you're just going to have a better shot at the abundant life Jesus intends for us. In terms of our tradition here, this may help answer the question. One of my goals for 2021 professionally is to provide leadership in my church for private worship. To my knowledge, that's never been done here by a pastor or a worship pastor or anybody that we actually guide people. Now, we'll talk about spending time every day in prayer and in the word of God. We'll talk about family devotions on occasion, especially with our children's ministry, but we never really talk about how can you worship privately? And, and I mean, worship, I don't just mean like read the Bible and pray. There's more to worship than reading and praying mm -hmm. e even privately. So how can we do that? So I'm working on a Spotify playlist, for example, that's called mm -hmm. private worship. And I will release that once I feel like I've got a good mix of songs that fits the demographic of my congregation, I will release that to our church as a link that they can use so that they can engage, engage in private worship as a part of their worship experience. But I also want to do more than that. I want to tell them yeah. how 
prayer functions in private worship, which might be different from just praying for the needs that you have on your list. And I want to, I want to help them understand how reading the scriptures can be a worshipful act rather than a dutiful thing that you check off the list. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I would say that we probably don't do private worship well in, in our tradition. That said, there are many, many people in my congregation who would outshine me at the way they do private worship day after day after day. So I don't, I don't mean that as an accusation, just as a more cultural or systemic kind of issue that I hope to address. You know, earlier I read your book, a worship leader handbook. And, uh, so, and left wow. a review on Amazon. So, Hey, there we what? go. Yeah, I know. I know. Dude, so. <laughs> I need to send you a gift card or thank something. Thank you so much. Um, and one of the things you write, and so Wait, I, I should I, probably read the review before I send the gift card. <laughs> that would be ideal. <laughs> so I, I usually make yellow highlights, but then when I really come across something that stands out, I go to the red. So this is a red highlight here. <laughs> if, if the reward of God's presence is not enough incentive or reward, we're doing it wrong. I, mm. I love that. And one of the things that you highlighted after that is just the importance of leading yourself well before we lead other people. And mm. I think this isn't really a worship leader question as much as it is just, just an everyday Christian. We all mm -hmm. have leadership capabilities, whether it's leading our homes well, um, leadership responsibilities at work. And one of the things I really liked in your book was the emphasis on leading yourself well. So, A, how do you do that in your own life? What's that What's that look like for you? And how do you help other people? What is, what's the encouragement you give to other people to really do that effectively? Yeah, gosh. Thank you for the question. I love it so much. Um, my, my mind goes a hundred different directions. I'm trying to pick one it, somewhere. It, it was that same trip, ironically enough in Florida, I mentioned the guy singing amazing grace. Um, I saw the movie dead poets society with Robin Williams. It was mm -hmm. in the theaters. It's an amazing film. I, I can't, I don't remember the rating, so maybe I shouldn't recommend it. I just remember it being deeply moving. And I went from a guy who before that movie was the antithesis of Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, until after that movie, a deep quest to be the guy who says, I'm going to seize the day every day. Now, have I done that? Of course not. I, I was in my early 20s and now I'm in my mid 50s. That would be quite a trend. Um, I have not seized the day every day, but I think it begins with that kind of attitude to lead yourself well, that you're going to say today, I'm going to seize the day. I'm going to make the most of this day God has given to me. I'm going to steward it well. And mm. so I want to lead myself well so that I can be faithful to what God has called me to do. That said, I'm also a bit of a personal growth junkie. And so I do love to listen to podcasts like yours. I love finding ways to get better. And usually they are, again, I've been doing this forever. So for me at this stage, it's more minor tweaks, but some of those minor tweaks have major ripple effects. Mm. And I love finding those kinds of hacks. Specifically in personal productivity, I really love the subject of time management, and I've had the opportunity to teach about that some. Uh, Michael Hyatt has been a guy that's really helped shape my thinking about personal productivity and time management. Just go to michaelhyatt.com. Uh, he is a, a, a strong believer, um, former president and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishing, which is was at the time, I assume it still is, the largest publisher of Bibles in the world. Mm. Uh, he stepped away from that, retired a little early, and started the Michael Hyatt Company. And he just helps people get stuff done, and especially stuff that matters. And I just kind of love that mindset. So there's the, the carpe diem thing, and then the personal productivity slash time management thing. And then there's the simple, um, I've got to do it. 
it's it's the Nike slogan applied hmm. to my life. Like I just have to do it. And if I'm not doing it well, uh, a, a guy that mentors me named Rory Noland wrote an amazing book called The Heart of the Artist, which has just come out with a new edition. Rory told me once in, in a private conversation, he said, um, if you've not developed that muscle yet, then you need to have some accountability built in until the muscle is in place. And we were talking specifically about the fruit of the spirit called self-control. And I was navigating that, interestingly enough, connected to time management. And I said, why am I, why am I having so much trouble saying no to things? And he said, you just need an accountability partner. You need somebody that you can run things by who's going to help you develop the muscle so that then you don't need that accountability partner because you've built the muscle. But until you get there, you got to have somebody in your life to help you do those things well. And I, all of that to me wraps up in self-leadership, um, along with self-awareness um, and Christ awareness, um, authentic community, all of those things wrapped up. It's the short first chapter of my book, uh, but I have read several books about that topic because it's just an endless um, well of richness and and possibility. That, that was one of the things I, hi I highlighted in your book was the importance of accountability. And, and Dave and I obviously mm -hmm. are big on that just because we're running buddies together and that's right. what we've done for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, Rod, quick question, man. Sure. Do you, when, when you talk about stewarding your time, the everyday, uh, offering of yourself and, and all that you are to God, do you, do you see that as worship? In, in the big picture biblical sense, does, do you, do you have an awareness that, you know, even coming on a podcast like this, this is an offering to God. Do you, do you, do you see your daily life, your work? Uh, if you want to go with Daniel Block on that, you know, do you see your work as worship? Yeah, I think it's an old Testament and new Testament concept actually that our work is worship in the old Testament. If I'm not mistaken, the Hebrew word most often translated worship also means serve mm. as if they are inseparable, mm -hmm. which means whatever you're doing with your time, if you're serving your family, well, that's worship. And if you're at the altar with your family, that's serving. They are nearly inseparable. Uh, in the New Testament, of course, that shows up in Romans 12. It shows up in Colossians, whatever you do, um, you know, do it as, as, as a worker for the, for the Lord. So certainly whatever you do probably includes whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I think, but look, let me just push on that just a little yeah. bit. Like, it seems like a lot of us seem to have this very segregated idea as a pastor. One of the things that's a challenge for me is turning Sunday belief into Monday action and, and a realization that I'm not with my people. Most of the time they're walking with the Lord and, mm -hmm. And seeing their work life, their emails, their interactions with their family, um, even how how they do business—it's uh, all—it's—it's it's worship. And, and overcoming the the temptation to think that worship is how I act, and if I'm really you know if I'm really good on Sunday morning, then. We, we end up almost like living two lives, nothing, maybe nothing bad Monday through Saturday. That's not what I mean at all, but it's this, this, like you said, this awareness that what I'm, what I am doing continually, this continuous outpouring, uh, is an act of worship. Yeah. Y'all, my pastor's name is Tim Harris. I can't mm -hmm. talk about much of anything for very long without talking about Tim because he's just amazing. One of his favorite phrases is not just your church life, but your life life. Mm. 
And when we begin to think about Christianity as our life life, then it changes our perspective. If I think, for example, in time management, if I think of all time as God's time, I don't have me time. It's all God's time. And, mm. and that shapes the way that I think about what I do and the way that I do it. it it's going to determine my level of excellence. It's going to determine my attention to detail. It's going to determine, it, it's, it's going to determine the way I treat other people. Because not only is all time God's time, but all people are God's people. And I don't mean that salvifically. I mean that creationally. He made every one of them yeah. in his image. And so I've got to steward them as if they are made in the image of God. I, when I encounter somebody who's unkind to me, they were still made in the image of God. And I, when I understand that allness, the, the bigness of God, that there really is no, at least in the historical perspective, uh, up until the last couple of years, there's no sacred or secular. There's yeah. just what God made and God made time. And so if yeah. God made time, it's his idea. It's my obligation to steward it in a way that honors him and celebrates him. And I kind of want to think that I put a smile on his face every once in a while with the way I choose to spend my time. Mm. You know, he's my dad. He, he yeah. wants to be proud of me. And when he looks down and says, oh, that's my boy. I love that he just stopped there, even though he was going to be late for the thing on his calendar because it was what I needed him to do. Mm. Then, yeah, that's God's time instead of me thinking about it as my time. Amen. Wow. And that's not the- because I'm a pastor. That's because I'm a Christ follower. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's so important. This is not a pastor thing. It's not a ministry thing. It's a mindset thing. And no matter who you are, no matter what your walk of life, God has the same relationship with you. We believe, we agree on the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, right? All of us as believers have the same right and responsibility before God as priests. So we want to, um, we want to be faithful in that. I'm sorry. I I interrupted. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that because that's the very verse we read off air just before we did this was Hebrews eight one. Um that we have a great high priest and and the the power that that comes with that. And as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking of the person that's driving to work or they're listening to this. Um, you know, hopefully they're not watching this as they drive, but who knows? And uh, (laughs) and they're saying, okay, I really want to lead my family well. I know I'm there, Dave's there, and I really want to lead my family well in how we worship, not just how we get around if we sing together at night, but but really teach my kids what it means to have a relationship with God. And so we talked about the personal and more of the corporate side, and I want to circle back to the corporate in a bit, but, but talk about in context of a family. How do we worship in such a way that our kids kind of catch this vision and that they... Um, that, that this becomes reality in their life as well. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I wish I had a better answer, so I'm going to give you the best I've got, but I think it deserves better answer than I have. The first thing I would say is consistency. They really need to see you be the same husband and father at church that they see you as at home. Mm-hmm. And, and the same at home as you are at church. You just have to have integrity. Um, you have to be the same on the inside as on the outside. You have to be the same inside your home as you are outside your home. And when that isn't there, then children pick up on that so incredibly quickly and, and they just will reject you as fake. And that's not a new thing. That's not a millennial thing. That's not a Gen Z thing. That's just a human thing. Mm, So that's, that's just huge. Um, the other thing I would say about normalizing is you have to normalize spiritual behavior. So the first time our older daughter fell and scraped her knee on the road out in front of our house, my wife ran to her and I thought for sure she was going to rush her back inside and dress the wound. But instead she paused on her knees and prayed. And then she brought her inside to dress the wound. Mm. 
Now, if it was life-threatening, it might have been a different kind of a different kind of scenario. But to prioritize our response to things as spiritual over practical, if there can be such a prioritization, I'm not sure. But if we can think of frame ourselves as spiritual beings having an earthly existence, as someone once said, not earthly beings having a spiritual experience, then we begin to frame our home life as normative with a spiritual dynamic. The only time your children hear you pray should not be around the dinner table. The only time they hear you talk about the Bible should not be at church. This is a part of the fabric of life. It's Deuteronomy 6 being lived out. And again, that's not a ministry thing or a pastor thing. That's a Christ follower thing. We just are people who are following Jesus no matter where we are. And will we get it right all the time? Of course not. That's why I wish I had a better answer. Um, for your listeners, I, I would, I, this is so self-promoting and I don't mean it to be, but it's such a direct answer to your question. I've done a couple of blog posts in the last year. One of them, 10 ways I blew it as a worship pastor dad. Mm-hmm. And it's just very confessional and says, please don't make these mistakes. I really blew it here. And, and there are 10 of them and I could have done another 10. And then I did a follow-up post just a few weeks later. That was um, seven ways I crushed it as a worship pastor, dad. That was a much more fun one to write. Uh, (laughs) I stretched it to seven because I think those seven really are ways that I did really well. But I think especially if you're a dad and you're in any way serving your church, you don't have to be full-time ministry, part-time ministry, but just you're serving in your church so that you're doing something that pulls you away from the home part of the week. Then I would say those two blog posts may be really helpful. And and my, one of the favorite things I did on the, the seven ways I crushed it was I have two daughters, Catherine and Emily every summer. I would take each of them on an overnight date, dad and daughter date. They got to pick the place within a couple hour drive and they got to set the agenda. But I got to determine what we talked about while we were there. And so that's where I taught them about what men look at when they were in their preteen years and why they needed to be careful about how they dressed. That's just a, that, those are so precious memories to me and to both of them who are now 26 and 23, hmm. that they remember those conversations. They remember us laughing at the movies. They remember us going to ch- the, um, the Chuck E. Cheese equivalent for older kids that was in Lexington, <laughs> Kentucky at the time. Uh, all of those are very precious memories, but I was the same Christ following dad there that I was at our house, that I was at church. And I think that's one of the, one of the really significant reasons why they've turned out to also be young women who walk with Jesus and, and love, love his church. Dave, you know, it's, it's interesting as he was talking, I was, I was thinking to myself, what, what is the hardest part of the day to worship where I am hmm. least? And I, I think for me, I'm curious to get your thought on that. I think the hardest part for me is probably work. Um, we get in the midst of doing things with I'm working yeah. with clients and it's so easily easy to get, um, I think of like anxious, anxious, frustrated, mm-hmm. losing patience, especially get by two or three in the afternoon. Um, what would, I don't know, I'm just curious, what would you say for you? Like, what would that be? I thought we were here to talk about worship. This feels <laughs> more like therapy. Uh, but I love the question. Gosh, what strikes me about the question is that, that the faith we choose to engage in is designed for exactly what you described. Mm-hmm. God equips us with all of the tools we need to face all of the challenges in front of us in the workplace. And if those are questions of... Um, integrity, like your, your boss asks you to do something that you know is wrong. Like God has direction for that. 
And, and if your issue is laziness, God has direction for that. I mean, he really did design the way of Jesus to be the way that we operate in the world, not apart from the world. And, and I don't mean that in any way to insult monastic <laughs> tradition or brothers and sisters who probably won't listen to a podcast, but, <laughs> um, but really Jesus, the, the way of Jesus is meant for us to, to live out in the world. Mm. And so wherever your struggle is greatest, his power is most available to you. When I, Paul didn't, didn't Paul say where I am the weakest, that's when I'm the strongest in Christ. Yeah. It is those moments where we have access to more of the power of Jesus than any other time. And when we engage the power of Jesus, I don't know about you guys, but whether it's in my work life or my home life or my volunteer experiences, when I engage that kind of power that God gives me, it moves me to worship emotionally. Like I'm so aware of the Holy Spirit just gave me that phrase. And I think, oh my gosh, he's amazing. How did he, I am not that smart. How did the Holy Spirit just do that? Mm. And, and yes. that for me, that's an emotion and I'm an emotional guy. I'm, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, so I get that. And so it moves me emotionally, but I have a sense that if we'll let it, that could probably move all of us emotionally to be aware of the activity of God in our living moment by moment life that he calls us to live. Yes. Amen. Amen. So I, while you were talking, Rob, uh, I was uh, I was thinking about the the verse in Second Peter. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, He's given us, mm. so that yes. I I and that doesn't mean I'm some you know automatron. I automatically do these things because of that. Peter actually says we're supposed to make every effort to do this and this and this. But the truth is, I don't have to live a life characterized by defeat, I can live a life hidden in Christ where I walk moment by moment with him. I had a, an incident over the, the weekend. I haven't shared. I actually, I shared it with my boss today. It was so bizarre, but I was hanging up a couple of shelves for Jessica and um, borrowing people's tools and making holes in our, our 150 year old house and all this crazy stuff. And I had to do all this leveling. Anyways, it was one of those things I was like, it's going to take five minutes five minute job. And it ended up, you know, like hour and a half later, I'm sitting there with a level and I'm, a, I can be a perfectionist about something. So I'm like aggravated because it's a tiny bit off. Finally finish. I'm taking the tools back. And I just had this sense, like you said, son, I'm really happy with your work. And, mm. and man, I wouldn't, I, you couldn't pay me enough um, and th that those experiences are priceless. Uh, in the moment, I also felt like he he said to me, when I was working on that stuff, we didn't have those kind of tools. Is that just like the funniest <laughs> thing? I, in that, yeah. uh, but man, like what you're saying, it, it's not just an ordinary day or an ordinary email. I am walking with the king of the universe. And I think that that concept of continuous outpouring, um, since we've been in school together the last year, that's been something that's really... Uh, our tradition sort of values that, but God has made that an experiential reality. Not everything is good all the time or anything like that. It's not what I'm saying. Uh, I feel bad about things. Things go wrong. But just this uh, increasing awareness of the presence of God inside of me and that that he's not some distant deity that I talk to a couple of times a week, but it, it we're, we're connected. We can have conversation. I can be on this podcast with you right now and talking to him about what I should say next. And th that kind of relationship uh, just blows my mind. But Yeah. And when he lets us get a glimpse, 
like after you were finished and you had that sense, but also the humanity of that. Yes. That like, yeah, I, that's just so beautiful. I think of Dallas Willard, uh, a friend of his commented that shortly before Dallas um, went on to be with Jesus, he said, I'm not sure I'm going to notice the difference when I step mm. from this world into the next. Yeah. He was so aware of the presence of God that he couldn't imagine being much more aware of the presence of God. That's astounding. And certainly yeah. something that I would like to aspire to, to, to walk moment by moment like that. That Amen. seems like worship to me in a biblical yeah. sense. Yes. You know, Roger's kind of changing gears. One of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about is mo I would say a lot of the people that are listening to this are somehow engaged in their church. Some are mm -hmm. worship leaders, um, but some are just, uh, they're on a uh, worship team. They are like I do at my church. I help out with, okay, let's just take a basic thing like announcements yesterday. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is when I do announcements, it's not just to get up and do announcements. That to me, my thought process, this is just where my thought process goes, and I'm curious to get your take, is for me, I have maybe three or four minutes where I'm on the stage, and my goal and during that time is to not kill it right after the music, right? So there's just like this <laughs> awkward, ugh, okay? Right. But, to, but make that time of announcements a continuation of what God's doing in the service, and there might be a transition, there might be a change of pace, but to do it well so that it sets up whoever's coming after me so that there's continuity and flow. That's where my mind goes to. My challenge, though, is in, in a lot of churches, it can feel like there is a lot of, it's like, okay, we go to one thing. All right, now we go and we do this, and then we go do this, and there's not continuity and flow. And people that are sitting and trying to worship, I've been in services where I've tried to worship, and I'm like, oh, this is so hard, right? So as a worship leader in your church, how do you go about doing that? And for someone that's listening to this, and they're a part of whether it's the communications team, the worship team, whatever, whatever that their volunteer role is ushering, how do you help them get a sense of what we're, you're trying to accomplish in that, that sacred hour, hour and a half, two hours that you have together? Um, that's a really interesting question. Uh, there's a, a fantastic book I would recommend. It's a bit old now, but it's called An Hour on Sunday by Nancy Beach. Um, I think it was published by Zondervan. Uh, Nancy talks about the, um, the preciousness of that hour and how every minute should be maximized. She talks about not stepping on holy moments, which is kind of the phrase that came to mind when you described not wanting to kill you know, what was happening in the room when the music was going. Um, and, and in order to not step on a holy moment, um, I think you have to be aware of what's going on in the yes. plan and in in the action. So you look before you step onto the platform, okay, what's the song before and what's the element after and what did they just sing about and what are they about to do? And it's a bit like running a relay race. I'm going to grab the baton from the person before me and I'm going to carry it faithfully. And then I'm going to hand it off to the person after me. And so how do I craft what I'm mm -hmm. going to do with that in mind? If you follow an up-tempo um, you know, victorious kind of celebratory song, then you don't want to step up and say, I'm so glad you're here today. And I have just a few announcements for you. <laughs> you know, you, you want to step into the moment and, and try to be just a step away from the energy that was on stage before you. Um, not, not a giant leap away from the energy that was on stage before you. The same thing, by the way, is true in a, in a hushed moment. 
Uh, I recall being at the Experience Worship Conference, uh, I think three years ago, we were doing a late night worship in the round event. It's about 11 o'clock at night. So even though David says I'm fresh <laughs> at 930, I'm toast at 11. Um, but we, we just finished singing this song and the, the pastor for the conference steps to the microphone and just does, shh, like, don't anybody say anything. And we just stood in the silence for probably 30 to 60 seconds. And he revered that holy moment in a beautiful mm. way. And as the silence gave space for that moment, then it was time to move on. And he could say what he was there to say. And I have no idea what he said next, but I'll never forget the shh mm. that came across the room. And so having an awareness of what's happening in the space is aided by knowing what the plan is ahead of time. Uh, but also just having a, we call it reading the room, just being able to say what's happening in this room right now. Yeah. And if, if, and I think that can be taught, but it, it needs to be taught primarily from a perspective of an awareness. And some yeah. people will be poor at it and some people will be fantastic at it. Most people will be somewhere in between and we can just coach them. Uh, if, if we have time ahead of time, you know, the usher is going to say the prayer before the offering is received. You just say, Hey, we're going to be coming out of this song and it's going to be really, really intense in the room. And I just want to let you know, you, you have complete freedom to pray. However you feel like the Holy spirit leads you to pray, but just be ready. It's, it's going to be, we're going to sing the great. I am right before that. And the congregation is going to have the hair on the back of their neck standing up and you just, you're going to step into that moment. So I just want you to be ready for that. And that's a, you know, that's a 30 second conversation. There's not a whole lot that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, if, if people are aware, does that answer your question? Yeah. My thought, Dave, I, I just want to kick this over to you just to, to get your insight because you work a lot yeah. again with younger students. And this is one of yeah. the things I really struggled with as a young pastor when I would get up on stage and it's gotten a lot better, I would say, as I've just as I've had more reps at it. But mm -hmm. I would allow emotion to dictate how I'm responding. And so uh, maybe I get up and um, and I would feel a need to create some sort of energy, right? And and there's sometimes where that's appropriate. But then even even when I'm speaking or things like that, of not getting a proper sense of what the room is is saying and kind of mis misjudging that. And I, I think. For me, that's one of the biggest challenges over the years has been to be able to get up and speak with confidence and speak with some sense of authority, um, but not to overdo it to the sense where maybe you come out of a, like a, an upbeat song and then you're like, and then you're like, oh, we're going to take it two levels more. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, you know. I think that's one of the areas I'm curious, Dave, to get your thoughts on that. Is that something that you see a lot? Yeah, I think for every, so there's like such, there's so many things that come into this personality. One of them. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my predecessor here where I work is an amazing exhorter. He, he can, he can get fired up and he could testify in a service. Um, just, he had a gift. And just realizing that my exhorting, uh, me even like you said, speaking with authority, which I would point out, you know, that's derived authority. That that that's 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 the spirit. I'm a conduit for the spirit, and the spirit might work through me a little bit differently. That being said, I love what Rod said about about all of that. But I think the big the big uh, the big point there might be 
purpose. I think so many services that I've been to, you know, so my question would be, well, where are we putting the announcements? Well, why are we putting them there? Um, okay. Rod just saying he, he brought us into, <laughs> we're, we're kind of prepared to pray right now as a, as a congregation. We are, we're in the, people are experiencing the manifest presence of God. And then I remember this one service that happened and the spirit is working and I'm just, I'm looking over thinking, okay, we don't need to introduce this person. Just come up, just lead us in prayer. Get us like, we're already there. And the sort of the, the leader for the, the church service I was in got up and was talking about some so-and-so that trimmed the hedges and how nice they looked outside and thank you for the volunteers and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I, I thought we were here to worship the, the amazing trying God of the universe. I, I wasn't aware that so-and-so needed affirmation for the, you know, Disney princess. They cut into the Vivernum bush out there. I mean, <laughs> What are we doing? <laughs> you know, but purpose there. And something that you said to me, Rod, um, uh, you were talking about planning and I, I pushed back on you on a phone call a few months ago. I said, you know, you ever get this sense where you're overplanned? What if, what do you do if the Holy Spirit says, Rod, you should sing that course again. And do you remember your response to some of that? I don't. Not necessarily. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. No, you, you said something like the reason we prepare so well is so that in the moment we can be free yeah. to, to do what, what we feel like God is leading us. And I've used that. We actually just had a moment the other week in chapel on Wednesday. I wasn't really quite sure. There were several courses that were sort of in the same key. And I told the musicians, hey, it's going to be one of these. And we might just move from one to one. I'm not sure. Told the guy in the, the, the sound booth, hey, we know all these courses if God leads us to sing them, you don't have to like flash through and 20 minutes later, get to them. Like it's distracting, but just a little bit of planning and shared purpose. Like you just, you just communicate with the ushers. Hey, just so you know this, it makes the, the entire thing, not more polished or professional, but it makes it more God focused. And I think in all of this, the, the big purpose for me is, is, is worship, making it easy as possible for people to catch a glimpse and experience the presence of God, the transformation that happens that Rod talks yeah, about. Yeah, and not just filling a role, right? Like, like I think that's the biggest thing like that I keep picking up from what you're saying, Rod, is, is that you're not just up there to, okay, so like take announcements. Okay, my job is to get up here and do announcements, right? No, like mm -hmm. your job is to look at the grand scheme of what is happening in the service and then play that little role that you have. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you want to add on to that? Thank you. I was really hoping you'd give me an opportunity. Um, <laughs> first of all, hopefully the announcements are about how we're going to live out our faith and our life life, right? Yes. It's, it's not just announcements because they're activities. The, these are ways that we're going to work out our faith. And so there should be some way to connect what's being announced with what the life of the church is all about. And, and hopefully they can be phrased in that way, but hopefully also the activity of the church reflects that we're doing things that, that our faith lives out. So if, if we're going to go to the, um, you know, downtown Cincinnati and give out meals as a part of a ministry, then that's like, that's just what the church is called to do. And so it's a natural outflowing of what this thing is that we're called to do to, to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, Ezra, you mentioned reps for young people, and I can't state strongly enough how important mm -hmm. that is. 
There is no way I could have the ability to articulate in the moment what I do now if I wouldn't have stumbled over it a whole lot of times 30 to 35 years ago. And I did. I stumbled over it a lot. And, and now I stumble on occasion, but not very often because I've just done it so many times, which means we have to get young worship leaders in front of people before they're polished. The only way you get polished is by repetition. You can't polish a piece of, you can't polish a candlestick by wiping it once. Mm. You have to keep rubbing it again and again and again with the cloth before it's going to take on the sheen that you want it to have. And the same is true for young leaders. And so we have to get them out there. And and I am, uh, as David mentioned early in, in the conversation, I love getting young leaders on the platform with me and then pushing them out so that they can have a role that they may not know if they're ready for yet. Uh, we have Can, another venue on. Yeah, go ahead. Just one question on that, because that's a fascinating point, I think, is there's going to be people that are listening and watching this, that they are in some sort of leadership role. And for whatever reason, they've been in that same role for a number of years, and it's been really mm -hmm. tough to develop other people. And they feel that urge that they want to, but they also feel that urge they don't want someone to just get up on stage and blow it. <laughs> and so they, yes. they are caught in those two dynamics. Yeah. How do you know when someone's ready and how do you, like you've done this so many years, um, <laughs> it probably takes sometimes a little bit of laying aside ego or the, your desire to be perfect mm. to allow someone else to come along. So how do you get over that? Gosh, there's so much. Uh, first of all, when I, there's a mentor of mine named Dave Bullock. He was at Elmbrook Church uh, out, yeah, up north for a while. Um, Dave said to me when he was 50, he said, I've had my turn on stage. It's time for me now to give other people the opportunity. I'm now 55, which means I'm way past that. And, and that is true, though. You know, I've, I've had thousands of opportunities to stand in front of somebody and, and hopefully lead them to the throne of grace. What about the 19-year-old in my church who's had four? Like, I, I've got to give her more opportunities. Mm. It's just not fair. It's selfish. Now, as to how do I help them thrive, um, my favorite definition of a coach is somebody that likes to help other people succeed. Mm. And that's the way I want to think about the young people that step mm. out to lead in my congregation. I want to help them succeed. And that means I'm going to help make sure they're very well prepared. Most nervousness comes from a lack of preparation. Yep. Now, some of it's personality driven. Some of it is newness. Some of it is the butterflies, et cetera. But most, most of the time when I'm nervous, it's because I'm not ready. But if I'm ready, and, and I mean ready in all the ways. Like I know the song, I know the people, I've prayed, I'm spiritually prepared, I've confessed. Like there's just nothing between me and success except for myself. Then, man, I just have a really good chance of of succeeding. And so I want to coach other people to do that same thing. Right. Uh, an, another mentor of mine, Bob Coughlin, says, "Don't practice till you get it right. Practice till you can't get it wrong." And if you know a melody so well that you can't miss the melody, then you're, you're ready. Hmm. But if you're still not sure how that one part goes, practice some more. You just got to be ready. And with young people, those who don't have reps, that level of understanding and, and um, preparation is really key. I also think there's another spiritual dynamic, and this is where I was hoping to get to come back to. Hmm. Um, you know, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it's the Great Commission. But verse 18 is where the authority from the commission comes from. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and therefore, go and make disciples. Well, Jesus also authorizes us, and when we step in his authority, then we have incredible potential for our faithfulness resulting in his power. I don't mean that we have great potential for us to be powerful. I mean we have great potential for his power 
to be perfected in our weakness or his power to be demonstrated in our faithfulness. And so his authority or his authorization of us as leaders doesn't start when you're 50 or 40 or 30 or 20. It started for Jesus when he was very young. It started with many of his disciples when they were teenagers, probably. These are young, young, young people who were not ready yet, except for the authority of the Holy Spirit, which gave them all of the readiness they needed. Mm. David as a shepherd boy, right, is how he was found. He was found as a shepherd boy, not as a shepherd king. He became the shepherd king because he started as a shepherd boy. And when we authorize people because the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit's anointing is on them, and, and we can talk forever about that word, but I think anointing is, again, my pastor has taught me, what, anointing is simply God's power to do what God's called you to do. So if you see in a young person and they're 14 years old, God's power making it possible for them to do what you're asking them to do, they are anointed. Whether you have a, a warm fuzzy about that is irrelevant. If they are demonstrating God's power to do the task that God has called them to do, they have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them. So you speak that into them and you say, I see the Holy Spirit's power on you when you stand up to lead worship. Like I would say to Lauren in our congregation when she was just 16 and led for the first time, I see the Holy Spirit on you when you lead worship in a way that I don't see you any other part of your life. That empowers her and authorizes her to be able to lead worship now in a way that I would say is just staggering. And, and the confidence that she has, not in her ability, but in her position as someone that the Holy Spirit has called. So mm. all of that gets mingled into how do you know somebody's ready? You know it because you give them opportunity and, and then you see and, and you give them opportunities that are small and safe. So in, in my book, um, I talk about our kind of leadership pathway for, for young people. They'll, they'll first be a part of the team and they just sing with the team. And then they lead out on a verse, but the rest of the team's with them the whole time. And then they lead out on a song and everybody else is backing them up. And then they rehearse the song. And so there's this like just step-by-step -step process and it takes weeks or months for them to get through that process. I guess on occasion, even years, but there's a process and we've laid that out and made it evident so that they know what the process looks like. Love it. So question for you. Um, we chatted maybe a little bit about this driving around back in November. Um, <clears throat> how do you disciple those young folks? Because I, the danger that maybe I am concerned about, uh, and I haven't batted a, a thousand. I wish I wish I had uh, at school here. But mm -hmm. you know, I tell students often, I'm going to pe put people up front that I trust. In in other words, the the integrity of the worshiper, I'll take the guy singing bass and octave low <laughs> in the choir before I'll, you know, he'll get the solo before some dynamic singer that maybe is not manifesting the fruits of the spirit in their life. So how do you, how do you coach someone who has an amazing voice or wants to be upfront and do these upfront things and has the gifts for them um, to, to not turn them into a, someone who has more up on display than they have behind the counter, you know, a Saul, if that, is that, a, is that a good yeah. question? I think it's an important question. Um, and therefore good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I also wish I had batted a thousand and, and I have not. Um, one of the things that helps me is I try to create a culture where that's the norm. So it's not so much about coaching the individual as it is creating an environment where we give more attention to what the text says 
than the quality of voice that conveys the text. We think more about the biblical underpinnings of a song than we do the rhythmic tightness of a song. We're going to give more attention to the culture of this is a spiritual experience that you're leading rather than having to get individuals moved from point A, which is they're not very spiritual to point B, which is they're highly spiritual. Now, I, I don't say that we don't do that, but if the culture is friendly to spiritual dynamics and not friendly to the prima donna kind of approach to ministry, then those who are prima donnas simply don't feel at home. Mm. And they almost self-exclude almost because some of them really are prima donnas and they're not clueless. They're clueless. And so they don't know to self-exclude, but in general, it really is kind of amazing how many people just choose not to be a part of it, even though they have the, the, the skill or the musical chops to be a part of it because they just know that that's just not like, I don't have that kind of spiritual, um, spidey sense, you know, the, the, the tingling that comes from when I sing a line, or I lead the congregation to sing a truth, and I am so aware of the profound nature of that truth. So in rehearsals, I don't talk a whole lot about musical precision or excellence. Um, I do that more on a global spot. Like, let's try that again, or let me give you, let's let's get another shot at that, or whatever. Now, if, if a guitar player needs help, I'm going to get the guitar player help. But I really lean heavily on the guests, the, the people around me, not guests, the people around me who are leading with me, I lean heavily on their giftedness. And then we just do repetition. And I lead devotionally in rehearsals. I don't mean that I do a devotion. I mean, I lead devotionally. So this past Sunday, we sang The Power of the Cross by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend, an amazing hymn, probably the only one better they've written, in my opinion, is In Christ Alone. Christ alone. Yeah. I love The Power of the Cross. It's an incredible song. And we changed the orchestration of the piece for the band. So on the third verse, when it says, now the daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished the victory cry. Well, we orchestrated like that. The band dropped out. The piano went up an octave. The, the singers got quiet. The drums came in with an earthquake on a tom. The, the drum fill and to finished. There was a crescendo. And so they are now, as a band and as vocalists, they are playing and singing the truth of what we're singing. So I lead devotionally so that people are paying attention to the text. And that develops that kind of awareness or connection to what it is that we're doing spiritually mm. more than what we're doing musically. I, I almost wow. never say, Hey, you're flat. Would you raise your eyebrows? Now on occasion <laughs> I've said that, but that's just not normal. What's normal yeah. is if, if you'll get the text to come alive in your own heart and soul and mind, then it's going to come alive in your body in such a way that the music is going to be excellent. Love it. I, I think for, for many folks, and especially, you know, if you go do a degree in something like in church music, you spend so much time on the mechanics. And I think maybe to your point that you were sort of alluding to, at the end of the day, even if you are leading for a verse, you are leading. The goal right. is congregational participate. This isn't all the people job. This is not, um, we're at a concert and you are performing worship for, I mean, as a person who's sitting in the congregation, you as the lead worshiper, if you want to think of it like that, I, mm -hmm. you should be making it as easy as possible for me to participate. And it, it's like you said, it's not about, it's not about you, you know, and communicating that to especially younger folks who have a desire and have the gifts, I think probably could be important. 
Yeah, we don't lead music. We don't even lead singing. We lead people. Mm. And if we're not leading people, we're not doing it right. Yeah. And so yeah. if if I have a young worship leader who is crushing the, I mean, they're just like, if they were in a room by the, if they were in a studio, I would be jealous. I mean, they're just doing it so well, but they're disconnected from the people. They are not being faithful with what we've asked them to do. That's and so, so we spend a lot of time talking about connecting to the congregation. We have a whole video our pastor did about stage presence because he's brilliant. Um, and, and we share that with our young worship leaders as a part of their training and their onboarding so that they know how to be on stage so that they're connecting with people. Yeah. Another one of, of the Timisms I call them for my pastor is ministry is done when needs are met. Mm. Well, the people in front of us in the worship gathering have needs that need to be met. And, and the, the most overwhelming need they have is to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. So mm. if I'm not meeting that need, I'm not doing ministry. I'm just doing music. That's, and that's not why that's we're powerful. There. Yeah. That, <laughs> I was going to ask you another question. Then I was like, no, we need to end on that note. That's, that's a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good place to end. Um, Dave, why don't you just wrap us up and, and uh, Rod, I'd love for you to share where people can find you. Sure. Yeah. Um, Rod, thanks for coming on today. And uh, we'll try to uh, put it in a link in the comments, maybe on the video uh, a link to the worship coach. Yep, for sure. Uh, Rod, Rod does a short blog post there. He said he usually tries to keep them around three to 400 words. So they're not long. And mm -hmm. I think they're, they're very Monday Christian friendly. They're not just mm -hmm. for worship leaders, but they're for worshipers. And so I'd encourage you to take a look at that, but hey, anything else you want to say to us, Rod, any, anything you want to, uh, talk about that maybe your relay worship conference, uh, he does a, a worship conference every every year for worship pastors or maybe your book, uh, something you'd like to promote here as we close today. Yeah, I, I really don't want to promote anything about what I do. I just I want to I want to remind all of the listeners that that God has a deep desire to be with you. Mm. And if you will surrender yourself to be with him, you will discover that worship is richer deeper, fuller, and better, and, and has more of an implication on your mm -hmm. life life than anything you can imagine. So trust the Father. When you go to church next Sunday or the next time you go to church, would you just remember that it's an encounter with a living God who, who loves you so deeply that you can't understand it? And, and let that create the context for the experience that you're going to have. And, and so it's not about the music or the preaching or the people. It really is about what you get to do as a child of the most high God sitting in his presence where he longs for you to be. He probably wants you there more than you want him there, which is mind blowing, mm. but that's the only explanation I have for the incarnation. Yeah. And so trust that and let worship be the experience that God wants it to be for you because it's going to be better than whatever you hope it can be. Man, Rod, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, it's a pleasure. As, uh, next week we have Craig Dennison on the podcast. It'd be a pleasure to have him on. And uh, until next week, my name's Ezra, and that's David. And thanks again, Rod. Appreciate it. Thanks. Man. Thank you, gentlemen. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 